0: Hello to you all. Now, if you have listened to yesterday's episode, you will know that we are going on to Bordeaux today. Now, did you know that Bordeaux has 60 Appalachians? It actually makes them the largest producer of Appalachians in the whole of France. Now, you may have heard of people talking about the left bank and the right bank. So, to clarify, this is all based on where the vineyard sites are. Compared to the rivers. Now you have the River Gironde, which goes into the Atlantic Sea, and as it comes inland, it splits into two rivers. On the right bank of the River Dordogne, you're going to find those two major appellations, Saint Emilion and. Pomerol now their soils are more clay and for that reason Merlot and Cabernet Franc grow better and you'll just find a little bit of Cabernet Sauvignon there so expect that in the blends. On the left bank are the vineyards and appellations of the River Garonne. The soils here are more gravelly and for that reason you'll find that Cabernet Sauvignon is king but of course these wines are blended wines so it'll be very often blended with Merlot and then after that Cabernet Franc followed by Petit Verdot, Malbec, and a little bit of Carmena, And so that goes from the Médoc region down to the Haut-Médoc. And within Haut-Médoc, you'll find the four major regions, the Appalachians Saint-Esteve, Pouillac, Saint-Julien, and Margot. Then the actual town of Bordeaux, comes along and just underneath that you'll find Grave. Now if you actually carry on further down the river, there'll also be Sauternes, the famous place for sweet wine. And actually it's worth pointing out now, we talk about red wines of Bordeaux, 80% really is red, but they make sparkling, that's Cremant that's made in the traditional method. They make white wines from Sauvignon Blanc and Semillon and a little bit of Muscadel. There are Rosé's, And then, of course, the botrytized sweet wines. So the sweet wines that have been affected by noble rot. Now, I wanted to make this episode about balance. And because, of course, it's got a focus on Bordeaux investment, some of these wines that John may mention in the chat maybe are outside of the price bracket that you're willing to pay. So I wanted to talk about a range of wines, a specific classification, that basically offer a reliable shortcut To value in the medoc. So, this classification is called Cru Bourgeois. It was established in 1932 and this category, this classification, sits below the classified growths. So when we say classified growths, we're talking about the first growths to fifth growths that got their status back in 1855. You know, so what about all the other chateaus? Well, this classification came in to help boost that reputation of the lesser known chateaus that were still producing greater wines, but, you know, many people didn't know about. Now, sadly, there seems to be a lot of mess and politics surrounding Cru Bourgeois. So I'm going to try and give you a little bit of a history and explain what happened, what didn't happen, what got taken away. <laughs> so originally in 1932 there were 444 estates part of the Cru Bourgeois. But a few decades later, the 1960s, people started realizing oh many of those chateaus had merged with others, or bigger estates had bought them. Some didn't even produce the wines anymore. So finally, as Everything takes a little bit of time in Bordeaux. In 2003, the Alliance de Cru Bourgeois created a new system and this allowed for three tiers. So the basic tier was going to be just called Cru Bourgeois, the next tier up would be Cru Bourgeois Superior, and then the final tier, the best tier of all, would be Cru Bourgeois Exceptional. 490 Chateaus applied, and of that, 247 were allowed to use the term cru Bourgeois of one of those three terms. There were nine exceptionales, 87 Superiores and 151 of the cru Bourgeois. Now, the idea of this was every 12 years, they will reclassify, nice and simple, and people will understand what Chateaus are producing fantastic wines. However, a lot of people were not happy. 76 estates in fact complained that they did not feel that things were taken into account or it wasn't fair it went to court and in 2004 their classifications were voided and by 2007 a magistrate voided the whole of the 2003 classification and this was all based on apparent conflicts of interest so the Alliance de Cru Bourgeois, they came up with a new term, label cru Bourgeois. And the idea with this, it's not going to be a classification, but more a mark of quality. And it will be awarded to the wines every single year. So since 2008, they got that going through. And each year, wineries would submit their wines to be blind tasted and to be able to say Cru Bourgeois. Now, after around 10 years of pushing, perseverance, paperwork, the Alliance de Cru Bourgeois have managed to get the classification system up and running again. This is not going to be for wines, but for the chateaus. The classification system will last for five years and it has those three. Tiers again. So this started from last year, so 2020. So for a winery to get this classification, they have to submit five vintages of each wine to be blind tasted. And if they do want to go for the Cru Bourgeois Superior or the Cru Bourgeois Exceptionnel, they have to be rated by environmental practices, their marketing and promotion of property, and their technical management to be able to qualify for the two higher tiers. So look out for Cru Bourgeois on the bottles. Remember, most of these don't age for longer than 10 years. So of course, they're not great for a long term investment. However, if you want a short term investment, fabulous. And it's also easier to find maturer vintages of these. Now, if you want to check out some of the chateaus that got into the exceptional category, look out for Bellevue, who are in the Haut-Médoc, and also Le Bosque who are in Saint esteve It's also worth pointing out a lot of the wineries have not wanted to get involved in this system again because, well, hey, lots of politics, it seems. In fact, none of the nine exceptionales from 2003 are in this list. So maybe you may want to try them because their quality is still fantastic. Look out for Chateau Félancegur, Chateau de Pez, Chateau Ormes de Pez, Chateau Sociando malais Chateau pontessac and several more. But just remember that 31% of the Medoc production is cru Bourgeois, so definitely worth investigating if you're not in the long-term investment game. Now, before we go to the chat and see what John thinks and some name dropping, some other chateaus that you may want to try, I'm going to give you my winery of the week. Now, my winery of the week is Chateau de Villegeorge. Now, I picked these guys for two reasons. One, they are owned by one of the most well-known families in Bordeaux. And two, they produce wine, again, that are affordable, so I wanted to stick with the kind of cru bourgeois movement that I was talking about, not long-term investment. In fact, actually, the wine I have from Chateau de Vilgeorges is their second wine, which is l'Etoile de Vilgeorges. So l'Etoile means the star. This is their second wine, and it's a 2018, which you will soon discover. 2018 was a fantastic vintage for Bordeaux. They used to be part of the Crue Bourgeois in 1932. And in fact, they had the status Crue Bourgeois Exceptionnel. Now, right now, the winery is owned by Marie-Laure Lurton. And Lurton is the name you want to hold on to. So the Lurton cousins, they are huge in the world. This all started with Francois Lurton, who had four children, who have now had 24 amongst them. So these 24 cousins are all around Bordeaux. You'll find them behind Chateau de Fort Vivenne, that's a second growth, and third growth Chateau Miral, and the delicious sweet wines of Chateau Climent, which is often referred to as the Dichemme of Barca, so now coming back to chateau ville these guys are certified by the Terra Vitis. That means they are super environmentally friendly. In fact, actually looking on their website, there's a whole list of what they're doing, which is amazing. It's all about organic wines, sustainable development, socially, of course, environmentally and economically. So they've been certified since 2003 all on gravel soils, around 30-year-old vines. They age their second wine in vats, so no new oak, just makes it super approachable. And this blend is 58.5, let's not forget that extra percentage, of Cabernet Sauvignon, 37% Merlot, and 4.5% Petit Verdot. So, let's give it a little try. Now, I've already been drinking this earlier (laughs) so just a little bit more for now what I really like about it and the nose is actually just really really juicy loads of the typical cassis and blackcurrant that you would expect but there's like a little bit of graphite or something a bit like damp earth in there and maybe even a little bit of lavender or dried herbs and certainly a little touch of smoke as well. So it's not super complex, but there's a decent amount going on. Medium, medium plus body. It's actually just lovely and smooth. It's super easy drinking. Round, soft, fine tannins, Kind of medium. Lovely sweet fruits. It's a dry wine, but the fruit is concentrated and ripe. All that kind of black berries, black cherries. And there's a slight gaminess and it then mixed with cacao powder. This would be nice with a little bit of lamb or, to be honest, a really big, fat, juicy hamburger. <laughs> so don't be scared to feel that with Bordeaux, it has to be something super posh. It definitely doesn't. There's a Bordeaux for every person and every price point. Now, this was 14 99 from Wine app. Right. Okay. Now let's go over to the chat and see what John thinks about Bordeaux, his favourite places, and what he's recommending us. Right. I think then maybe it's time to talk about Bordeaux. Because Bordeaux, for you, has now become one of your more favourite regions for investment or for drinking or for both?
1: Probably for both. Okay. I- Kind of transitioned from, well, not really transitioned because I still enjoy Napa Cabs, but mm-hmm. uh, Bordeaux was kind of next and it was a reasonable kind of transition to Bordeaux since the varietals are pretty similar in most instances. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: I really enjoy it and I still enjoy it to this day. So it's definitely a big percentage of my portfolio and, and it's often uh, very investable as well. So.
0: Okay, do you have a specific region? Because obviously there's the right bank and there's the left bank, which we can certainly touch on in a little bit more detail for anyone who isn't actually aware of Bordeaux. Do you prefer to go one side or the other, or it's all good?
1: I enjoy both of them, but for whatever Uh reason, I tend to buy a little bit more of the, the left bank.
0: Okay. So you're like, you're more Cabernet-based. All right. And then, obviously, you're investing presumably in the Medoc, presumably within the four main regions, I would assume. Do you have a favorite between Margot, Boyac, Saint Estef, San Julien, or, again, it's more about the chateaus that you go for?
1: Uh, here are we talking more about investment or, or personal enjoyment? Both. Okay.
0: I don't know, actually. Personal enjoyment.
1: Okay. So for personal enjoyment, I really enjoy, mm. of course, Chateau Brion and Le Mission Brion are, are probably mm-hmm. way up there. Okay. Uh, also, a lot of the Poyac producers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So certainly like pichon Baron, Pichon-Lalande, uh, Mouton, um, even lynch I enjoy lynch very much.
0: I think lynch actually actually generally offers some really good value. When I was a sommelier... I would sell quite a bit of lynch bars. And actually, talking about good value, I wonder what you think. Chateau Bataille. So these are the fifth growths in Bordeaux. Um, Actually, in fact, I should probably touch on, just in case people don't know what we mean by first growths, which of course are the top classified wines in Bordeaux, but in 1855, there was a classification system, which is quite ironic that, well, kind of typical French, it still hasn't been changed today. Other than obviously probably one major change, which was when Mouton Rothschild got moved up to a first growth from second, and that was in the 1970s. But other than that, everyone has maintained their classification system, and it was basically these brokers back all the way in 1855 Five decided what was the most popular, what was the best chateaus, and everything between first growth down to fifth growth was was labelled. So, but what do you think of the the first growth, second, third, fourth, fifth? Because the fact that it hasn't changed and innovation has come in, and you can now get third growths that can sometimes beat first growths and blind tastings and you know second growths actually sometimes aren't as good as fourth growths now you know it depends on each individual chateau but do you believe more or less still they are within their categories what do you think
1: yeah i think certainly there's a lot of situations where you can point to some specific chateau that should be re i guess reclassified (laughs) yeah Uh, there's a lot of discrepancies there for example Baj, as you mentioned as a fifth should probably be second or third at worst Mm -hmm. Uh, similarly uh, Pontin Canet is another one mm-hmm, that's been very mm-hmm. very strong for the mm-hmm. past 10 years and one I enjoy very much so that could certainly be much higher uh, and then you're right there's a number of them uh, especially in the Margot region there's a number of them that are just not very good right now and haven't been for a while that were in the classification
0: now did you have a favorite region because I actually have to say and I don't drink enough Bordeaux just because the really good stuff does cost me a little bit but Pouillac when I was pouring it was always my favorite just because it really did have this, the most kind of smoky cigar box nature to it, but it had this almost like a lovely sweetness of fruit. Like that was always what got me with, with Puyac. And I always felt like, and it's probably not true to say, but like, I always felt like that's classic Bordeaux, (laughs) (laughs) but at the same time, obviously the most kind of, I don't know, elegant and, Fragrant styles often i think do come out of margot so i don't know do you, do you lean to one rather than another
1: i like all of them <laughs> <laughs> i think you're right and you've a point, you've pointed out certainly some of the strengths of those those two uh mm. regions for sure but i would say you know certainly Puyac is very very mm. nice and i enjoy a lot of those producers mm. uh but margot you're right there's something so elegant and graceful mm. about it both chateau palmer and chateau margot uh, mm. Even Rosan Segla is uh, yes is coming on strong lately. So
0: okay, but
1: there's something special about those wines, and then uh, Saint Julien has excellent value as well.
0: Do you think it has excellent value because actually, ironically, it's the only one that doesn't have a first growth? So for some reason, maybe people don't think of it as quickly, and therefore actually allows those chateaus to shine and not, and you can get them for better value. I just I've always wondered. What do you think?
1: I think it does fly a little bit under the radar, hmm. and I think it's it's definitely probably not something that people invest in, so it doesn't have the huge run-up in prices for the collectors. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, they don't at least invest as much. Certainly, something like, uh, uh, you know, Leoville Lascaus um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: may have a little bit more, but but even like uh, Leoville Barton, for example, mm-hmm. with the 2020 futures, it's only $90 right now, and it's very, very highly regarded, so...
0: So there you go. Can we take that as a quote from you? Put your money where your mouth is. Should we be telling everyone to go and um, get some of that and put it in their cellar?
1: I think they, <laughs> they could do a lot worse. That's certainly a very, very strong option. That's the same thing. I don't bet. think they would complain.
0: Yeah. Okay. No, no. I think they'd be know. very happy with it. I used to sell Chateau Gloria as a sommelier. And I always thought that was actually a pretty good value
1: wine. I agree. No, I recall buying, um, I think it was the 2000 Gloria. I got a deal mm. on some of those and and that was an excellent buy. Mm,
0: there we go. There we go. Everyone gets some Gloria. But no, yeah, it, I would say as well, just for people to understand, because I suppose, you know, I think there's a saying or something in Bordeaux as well, which is that Tawar is different every step you take. It could, It's a bit of a joke for when you're actually trying to explain what uh, a region's soil is. But actually, they very often say with Bordeaux, you know, really is different and when you talk about the you know lafitte and latour which are two first gross in Puyac, as an example lafitte is right at the top and latour is right at the bottom and latour is a firmer style and then lafitte is much kind of smoother is So i mean they're completely contrasting they're the, the furthest away and they're completely different in style right
1: and actually uh lafitte for example is right across the street from ponte Canet. And so Ponte Canet is right next to Lafitte. Uh, I continue to think Ponte Canet is an excellent wine for people to buy if they enjoy good value. It, it's been doing so well the last 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. They invested heavily in the property and upgrades in the early 2000s and all those investments are paying dividends now. And you can get that one for around $110 for the 2020 futures, which is, I think a pretty good deal.
0: I guess it, it's this journey of trying to find value, right? In Bordeaux.
1: <laughs> But
0: the longer you you do it, the uh, the easier it gets. I guess
1: that's true, and and also though, even with the big names, there's certainly pockets of value uh, Mm -hmm. on a vintage by vintage basis. Like uh, Mm -hmm. with Mouton, for example, for whatever reason, you can still get the incredible 1986 vintage and the 2005 vintage for much less than the 2000 vintage.
0: Mm. So, in terms of vintages in Bordeaux. Again, are you being pretty religious about noting down the best vintages? What do you think? I mean, the 2015, 2010, 2005, like they go in, <laughs> they often do, they go in fives, it seems. We're all fantastic vintages. And I, but the thing is, again, right bank and left bank completely different as well. They can be different in the same year. They're not, you know, it's not religious, the whole category. But do you try and keep a note of all the best vintages? So again, you know what you're doing?
1: I try to keep up with it for sure. Mm-hmm. So. Certainly when I started, I had to do some research to to figure out historically what was best, because I wasn't keeping up with it at the time. Mm-hmm. But then since then, I, I try to keep up with the literature and the reading and, and go to tasting opportunities and things of that nature. So I try to keep up with it on a regular basis as I go forward.
0: Actually, we've done really well in the last, I say we, look, I'm including myself in Bordeaux now. We have <laughs> done really well 2020, 2019, 2018. Like I think the last, obviously ignore this year because we, we're not there yet, but um, the last three years have been pretty good. So in terms of investment for the last few years, that, that they should all be pretty good ones to purchase, obviously, if you're going to the right chateau, right?
1: That's true. There has been more consistency and I think Due to the global warming, I think it's Mm -hmm. a a situation where Bordeaux has been getting more consistently warm vintages and they're not having the same struggle to ripen the grapes that they used to historically.
0: Mm, Yeah, well, good for us, I suppose. There's at least some advantages, isn't there? There are, yeah. I always say to everybody, thank God for that in England, because, I mean, you know, (laughs) 20 years ago it was really, really difficult and now we're making absolutely cracking English sparkling wine, so... In a few more years, we might actually make some good Pinot Noir as well.
1: <laughs> Definitely. No, it's it's come a long way, certainly.
0: Just a side note, have you drunk any English sparkling wine yet?
1: I had one.
0: One? Which one?
1: One. I'm trying to remember. It was a 1996, and I'm drawing a blank on the name of the producer, but it's one of the top producers.
0: Night Timber, probably.
1: Yes, it was a 96 <laughs> Night Timber. <laughs>
0: I was going to say, if you drunk it in America and it was an aged version, yeah, probably 19. But oh, there we go. That definitely showcases um, how gradually there's a lot of other wineries that are competing with them, but they definitely show how good English sparkling wine can be. Right, back to Bordeaux. Sorry, I fell off. I forgot where we were. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But I was going to say for people who... I suppose want to know a little bit about the difference in styles of those four major regions if they want to start experimenting. We talked about that elegance in Margot and I believe that a lot of that elegance comes from the soils. It's the most gravelly there, and the thinnest soils as well. So actually, to the point that in really bad years the wine well used to be quite thin it probably won't be now again as we mentioned with the with the global warming and then as you go all the way up so then above margot is saint Julien. then it's pouillac and then Santa steph and actually Santa steph has the least gravel and actually therefore typically you know with a bit more clay can be a bit more powerful and a little bit more intense we just got to keep on drinking right
1: correct yeah that's the best way to uh, to figure it out is to to do some tasting and some comparison tasting you try one from each region for example uh then you can maybe get get a sense for some some differences but in in bargot oftentimes they also have a little bit higher percentage of merlot uh, Mm -hmm. and so that helps a little bit with the the elegance as well like chateau palmer for example is oftentimes close to 50 50.
0: oh wow is it okay
1: which is much different than than certainly
0: yeah, okay, so that's really interesting. I hate the fact that Merlot gets such a bad rap when actually, you know, when we haven't even obviously touched we'll leave it. We'll stick we won't confuse people, we'll stick with the <laughs> with the left bank, but we haven't even touched on the Merlot and more Cabernet Franc side of the right bank. But hey guys, if you want that, go there. Santa emilion and Pomerol. Um okay, a few more good value wines. Are you again, you mentioned one in yesterday's episode. But where are a few more of your Saturday night drinking wines that are not for investment? Oh,
1: uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Certainly, Ponte Canet and, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of those Leovilles were the wines that I started out buying. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, the, uh, the Leoville Poit mm-hmm. Exactly, mm-hmm. Poit Faire. Lascaux is a little bit more, but you can still get some good values in certain vintages. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, a right bank wine, uh, Saint-Emilion, uh, Font mm-hmm. Plagade. Oh, never, never,
0: ever tried. Okay, right.
1: And the 2020 on futures, for example, is only $45.
0: Okay, there you go, everyone. (laughs) And have you been to Bordeaux? I have. Because I mean, I've obviously been into the main town of Bordeaux, but I actually, ironically, in terms of villages and vineyards, have only been to Saint-Emilion, which, yeah, as you would know, beautiful, beautiful town. It's actually much more beautiful than the Haute Medoc, which is actually quite flat and a bit, mm, you know, delicious, amazing wines, but not actually the most amazing scenery. So hence why I didn't fit it into the trip. But have you done the whole thing?
1: I did a large part of it. So I was there during the holidays, okay. and a lot of things were shut down, but mm. I did do the entire left bank, mm-hmm. uh, no, even the area near downtown by Popclemont and Eau in that area.
0: Okay, of course, because for anybody Actually, I don't really know the distance from not being there myself, but obviously Grave, which obviously makes amazing wines and the first growth, or Brion, is literally just underneath the town of Bordeaux, whereas all the other sub-Appalachians that we're talking about are actually a bit further away north. How What's the difference from Bordeaux town to get to Margot? It's not that far, is it?
1: It's not that far. As I recall, it was maybe 10 or 15 minutes to yeah, get from the okay. airport to that area, but mm, okay. then to get to... Uh... To Grave, it's maybe 10 minutes the other direction.
0: Oh, really? And it's literally just right, I suppose, from the airport, but depending on, yeah. But it is literally right underneath the Bordeaux town. What did you find? Did you see any difference in scenery? Did you have a favorite place? Was there something unique or interesting?
1: Uh, I actually toured um, Lynchbage and Ponte Canet. I was very, very mm-hmm. impressed with Ponte Canet. And that was an excellent visit. Uh, Chateau Palmer as well. Mm-hmm. Very, mm-hmm. very impressive. And I did a day in Saint-Emilion as well. And enjoyed the Bright bank and i did visit fanple ah
0: you did okay did you find it the most beautiful
1: i did although this is the middle of december so there wasn't a lot to look at in terms of scenery everything Ah, was okay kind of brown you You definitely
0: didn't get the best of everything
1: no but that's the best time for me to get away from from work Mm -hmm, certainly and so i would typically do my longer international trips Mm -hmm. around the the christmas holiday
0: yeah all right okay so you're just gonna have to go enjoy the actual cellars and then just imagine the vines
1: exactly but i I go to napa all the time and i've seen the vines there so
0: you know it it was so funny i went on um i don't know it was like i went on wine trips for about three years in a row and every single trip I went on, I missed it through the summer season. So I never got to see any like ripe grapes on the vine for like three years. Oh, and well. I, yeah, yeah, I just kept on mistiming it every single time. I'd get the leaves, but no grapes. Then finally I got it. And I was like, oh, right, okay. You know, but uh, yeah, sometimes timing it in that, that perfect moment can be quite difficult, can't it? Yeah, for sure.
1: <laughs> so I'm excited. I'm excited to go back and visit a winery. It's been Ugh, since yeah. March of 2020 since I mm-hmm. visited one. So next week will be the the next time. Where are you going to go? To uh, Willamette Valley in Oregon.
0: Oh of course you said that before we started recording right yes absolutely and what wineries are you going to go and visit?
1: I've got a pretty good list but mm-hmm. uh, definitely um, White Rose Estate and Christum, Archery oh, Summit, okay.
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: Evening Land so have a pretty good list planned. You're going to be busy. Definitely but it's a good kind of busy.
0: Don't buy too much you got nowhere to store it. Yeah
1: I'll, I'll try not to but
0: <laughs> I know that's
1: true I, I need to have a party or something to to get rid of some inventory
0: oh well um if I can ever travel again invite me over all right
1: for sure you're always welcome
0: oh bless you thank you so much John and um, for anybody who remembers John mentioning that he has some wine videos so if you are going to take things seriously and want to know a little bit more certainly from his experience it is just attorney som isn't it as the, your youtube channel
1: it is on on YouTube, there's a space between the words attorney and son. And then on Instagram, it's all together as one word.
0: There you go. So people can follow you and go down the journey. And actually, especially on Instagram, you are often talking about the wines that you drink. So very different, for instance, to what I talk about on my Instagram. These are premium, premium wines. A lot of cult wines, the first growths, and you talk about stories and you're tasting of them. And people can really, you know, actually follow your journey and learn a little bit more through you. It's a little bit more interesting than reading articles, I think.
1: I think so. It it puts a little (laughs) bit of life into it. And, you know, we talk about how often we we decanted the wines and so forth and and provide some, some practical tips as well
0: Mm mm-hmm fab lovely all right thank you so much um hopefully everyone's going to go over and see what you're doing and i appreciate you just having a little chat and letting us know um a lot of name drops so hopefully people took a pen and paper there is a transcript everybody so go and download that go in the show notes and you'll find that and then um you can start on the journey
1: yeah well thanks so much for having me it's been a pleasure
0: no thank you so much bye okay bye Okay, so now of course you're all familiar with the Cru Bourgeois classification system, and of course the more prestigious and more famous 1855 classification system, which is just for the left bank. Now, if we go over to the right bank, the two most famous appellations are. Pomerol and Saint-Emilion. Now Pomerol does not have a classification system so sadly you just need to go and have a look and find out what are the most premium wines. Certainly Le Pan and Petrus are considered the first growths of Pomerol. If we go to Saint-Emilion they do have a classification system so I'm going to quickly take you through that now so we've ticked everything off the list. So this was established in 1955, and unlike the 1855 classification, which is pretty static and things don't change, here in Saint-Emilion, every 10 years or so, they renew the classification. It still had its fair share of politics, with the 2006 classification Being declared invalid, we won't go down that route. So, you have the Premier Crew Class A, A, which is the highest category, then you have Premier Cru Classé B, and then you have Grand Cru Classé. Now, if you see a wine saying Grand Cru on the label, that's actually not part of the classification system, basically means that they are following the appellation rules, but they're not part of this 1955 classification. Interestingly enough... This is a very hot topic as I record because there were always two wineries two chateaus that were in the premier cru classe a and that was Chateau Orson and Chateau Cheval Blanc now in the last classification which happened in 2012 there were two promotions and that was Chateau Pavy and Chateau Angelus So currently in the highest tier of this classification system, there are those four chateaus. Now, it's this year that all the chateaus have to submit their dossiers, so their documents, as next year, everything gets reclassified and renewed again, the 2022 classification. So... The big news is that Chateau Arson and Chateau Cheval Blanc have come out and said they are stepping out of this classification system. They're not going to be involved anymore. Their beliefs from their side is that there's not enough focus on the terroir and their history and the specific wine, and now there's too much focus on marketing. Apparently, they want to step away from the politics and focus specifically on terroir. Of course this is very likely to weaken the classification system and there's definitely going to be some very angry neighbours. It does also mean that they will have to withdraw their other chateaus that they own. So Chateau Orson in 2014 bought Le Claude, and that is a Grand Cru Classe A. And Chateau Cheval Blanc in 2008 bought Grand Cru Classe A Quinoa L'Enclos, which both of them roughly retail for around the £60 mark if you fancy giving them a try. Oh, and if you remember me mentioning the Le Ton family, they're everywhere. Well, Pierre Leton is director of Chateau Cheval Blanc. Right. That's the classification systems. Good luck finding your Bordeaux wines to drink now, to drink in 10 years or to invest for the long haul. As always, let's finish with a wine quote. And this is from Baron Philippe de Rothschild, who was the renovator, as they say, of Chateau Mouton Rothschild throughout the 20th century. And Mouton, as many of you I'm sure know, is a first growth. And he said, Excellent wine generates enthusiasm. And whatever you do with enthusiasm is generally successful. Right, well, I think we should all take his advice and get ourselves some great wine. Hopefully, this episode has given you a little bit of an idea of where to go if you didn't know already. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done it already, go to Apple Podcasts if you can and leave a review. As you may have known, if you've been listening to this week's episodes, there is a competition. If you leave your review on Apple Podcasts, screenshot it and send it across to me before the 30th of August, 2021 you'll be in it to win it and winning will be a virtual tasting with me full details are in the show notes and for everybody else please do just like share and subscribe you really are helping the episodes to be far more discoverable right until the next episode of eat sleep wine repeat cheers to you